Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Courtney. And this is the Dance Better Podcast. This is our platform to shed some light on the impact that ballet training has on the mental health of both current and former dancers. Together with some amazing experts, we're discovering what things dancers can do to help counteract some of those habits and ideas that might not be serving them. So keep listening to hear real stories from real dancers, mental health professionals, and many more to help you dance better. Hey everyone, this is Sarah, and today Courtney and I spoke with everyone's favorite health and lifestyle coach, Jess Spinner with The Whole Dancer. Jess has been helping dancers achieve their goals since 2013 through her mindset work around eating and performance. Yes, she really gave not only inspiring overall wisdom, but so many actionable things that dancers can do today to level up their approach to their training. Yeah, it was an amazing episode. Uh, We just want to make sure that we mention that we are not mental health professionals. So anything that you hear us say are just things from our lives that have worked, what hasn't worked, um, just our experiences and should not be considered medical advice. If any of the things we share resonate with you, we encourage you to talk to your doctor to find the best healthcare professional for you. We also want to mention anything we say in this podcast is a reflection of our dance experience as a whole and not any one teacher, studio, or company. Secondly, the opinions shared by our guest in this episode are those of our guest and their personal experience from their individual viewpoint. Experiences and opinions shared, while cathartic, are also for a mutual purpose to aid in opening a dialogue about making experiences better for artists everywhere. You guys, this was an incredible conversation with Jess, and we are so excited to share it with you, so here you go. Hey, hey, you guys, how are you? Hello, Sarah. Hello to our listeners and hello, Jess. It is so great to see you and meet you. (laughs) And we're so excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, So you guys, we're just going to go ahead and dive in. So Jess, why don't you give us a quick rundown of your history in the dance world and how your mental health evolved over that time as well? Sure. So, you know, I started, I would say, relatively older as far as getting on a more professional track. I wasn't at a more professional school until I was about 12, and I was training on Long Island at the school associated with the Iglesky Ballet. And now I had gone to a more recreational school prior to that, and happily my teacher there said to me, I think you need to go somewhere better. So that was, that doesn't always happen. And (laughs) I was glad that she had that sort of forethought and and said, you need better training. And when I got to this more serious school, I was like ready to take it really seriously. I spent my first summer there, but then the next summer I went away. And uh, that was also when I started to face some challenges with mental health and body image and food, because upon returning from that summer intensive, my ballet teacher at my home studio, you know, she tapped me on the thigh and she was like, that wasn't there before. And that was pretty much all she said, but obviously that was enough to send the message. Mm -hmm. And my 13 year old brain being, having been born in the mid eighties and, you know, the low fat diet craze was still around and popular. I embarked on my first diet at the time, which I decided the best thing to do would be not to eat any foods with more than three grams of fat in them, which meant I was eating, you know, like lots of cereal and bread and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. And I got very attached to numbers and weight uh, at that time as well, which also followed me through my training and Mm -hmm. career. And so happily, I was able to really enjoy the dance part of it all, even while I was struggling with these things. And when it came towards the end of high school, I knew I wanted to dance professionally. There was one year actually that I had come home and told my mother, if I'm going to dance professionally, I can't go to college. And she like had a little panic attack, but we moved forward and she was like, okay, you can keep dancing, but I want you to go to college for dance. By the end of high school, I was open to that as well. I don't think I really felt ready or maybe I was scared to try and dive into the whole company audition thing. 
again, having been from Long Island, I got to do all my summer intensive auditions at the School of American Ballet. So I was like, you know, like, wow, every time I had auditions, I was like, oh God, everyone's so good. Um, yeah. So I was like, okay, I will go to college. And I was looking at, you know, the big ballet focused programs. And I ended up at Butler University, which I absolutely loved every minute of. Still was struggling with body stuff the whole time. Sophomore year was particularly challenging because I got injured. Then I wasn't dancing and I was still like going and watching class with anyone, which anyone who's injured can tell you is like torture, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I also dove more into the traditional college life at that time and was perhaps partying and things like that more than I should have been. So I experienced (laughs) weight gain and that was something that had never been such a big issue, mostly because even with my food struggles, which ranged from under eating to overeating, dancing as much as I was, my weight stayed relatively around the same place. It did fluctuate, but that was the biggest fluctuation. So then after sophomore year, I was like, okay, that summer before returning to school for my junior year, I said, all right, I, I have to like get serious about this diet thing. And so I was like doing raw food eating and all, all different things, you know, whatever fads were out there at the time were tended to be the things that I gravitated towards. Uh, and I lost a lot of weight and got all the feed, good feedback when I went back as we do, as we tend to still hear from dancers in mm-hmm. the dance world. Mm-hmm. And by the end of college, still in a challenged place with it all, but, you know, was definitely ready to be auditioning. And I ended up at the Louisville Ballet, which was a really great experience. Uh, All along the way, it's interesting too, after that main piece of feedback when I was 13, where my teacher indicated that I had gained weight, I really didn't get that much body feedback moving forward. There were moments and time and experiences but nothing major, but I held on to that first bit. And then, you know, yeah. you look around and you compare and you say, well, I mean, she's maybe doing better than me or getting more positive feedback than me. And she looks this way. So I should try to look that way as well. So you kind of, and I hear this from dancers a lot too. You kind of create this uh, image in your mind of what you should be, even if yeah. it's vastly different from what you are. And that's, that's what you strive towards. Even if no one is particularly or specifically saying to you, this is how you should look, you tell yourself, this is how I should look. Living by um, that narrative. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I really enjoyed dancing at Louisville and had a really good experience, stressful the first season, because I think that that's normal in that transition. Even after college, I was stressed out, but I also kept thinking like, oh gosh, I could not imagine if I was 17 or 18 years old doing this right now. Uh, more power to those girls. I work with many of them and I know that it's stressful then too, but it's, it's also just awesome to watch when they are thriving and diving into it and taking themselves forward in that way. Yeah. After Louisville, I moved to Boston with a college friend and I freelanced in the Boston area for a number of years. While I was freelancing, I was still struggling I definitely continued to have a super negative body image and negative relationship to food. And it really wasn't until I finally decided to stop pursuing dance, which there was an injury, but I think again, it was just like that many years of beating yourself up and feeling that you're not enough and not good enough and not thin enough. It just kind of wears on you. And so I abruptly stopped dancing and uh, I studied to become a health coach through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And I started doing much more yoga and being away from the mirror was a big positive shift for me because, and yoga teachers, especially the really good ones, you know, they have this great way of really empowering you to turn inward and feel the strength of your body without any concern yeah. for how it's looking, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that had a huge positive impact. And so it was really with those two, I would say, main things that I started to be like, okay, this is not 
good for me to continue to be so obsessive about my external form. It's not uh, healthy. It doesn't feel good. And so that's when things really started to shift. And after becoming a health coach, I initially was not working with dancers because I was like, oh God, like I was, I thought it would be bad for my mental health to get back into that space pretty much. I was like, I don't think I can handle it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky, especially. I mean, going through that much difficult moments trauma. and then tra- it's trauma. You'll you'll say it sooner than I am. I yeah. still sometimes struggle with saying that word about it. Yeah. But going through those that those seasons of trauma, and then you get to this point of you're ready to move on and you want to help others, but it's like you're kind of diving into something that is still probably a touchy subject. And right. oh yeah, I I relate to that with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, after, after working with non-dancers and really initially being like, wow, I don't feel connected when I, especially when I would work with people who like, you know, worked a traditional nine to five and that was all they ever knew. And people who struggled to be consistent with exercise and things like that and like I totally understand those things but coming from the dancer mentality where it's like certain things are just part of your life you know Uh so it was hard for me to be like okay like start exercising there's the there's a level of discipline already like a prerequisite with dancers that it's already it's already in our blood to an extent you just have to tap back into it yeah and so after a couple of years of working with not on dancers, I started working with a business coach. And in our first session, she said to me, well, it sounds like you should be working with dancers. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) right. I mean, I know it, like, you know, um, and once I started, it really just opened up in a big way. And especially at the time that I started, which was back in 2015 I just feel like there was really it felt like there was not much at all and so I think dancers were really hungry with for some Mm -hmm. sort of support and uh, it's grown really well and nicely and like it's evolved in nice ways and I think that you know continuing to serve dancers it's been very healing for me as well I love hearing that. That's great. That that heart for service yeah. is is what's able to to help us to grow and heal and and become even more, you know. So that's right. awesome. Well, we're so grateful that you're here and that you went through that journey and and you've been able to build a platform that you have. So we want to kind of dive in a little bit to your experience with your mental health. So as a student and then as a professional, um, what strategies, both good and bad maybe, um, did you use to overcome any of those mental health challenges that you had during that time? I know you touched a little bit on your disordered eating, but were there any other strategies that you used to try to get you through? I mean, I think that having a network of friends certainly helps a lot. Unfortunately, and this is true, again, with many of the dancers that I work with also, we tend to have friends who, you know, see themselves in similar ways. So we would egg each other on in negative ways and, you know, discuss how well, you know, I had one of my best friends in college, she has a very similar body type to me. And we would be like, I just think that for us to be what we have to be for ballet, like we really can't eat a lot, you know, like we would have those kinds of conversations. Oh yeah. So you certainly find the people who are in a similar place to you mentally. And I think you tend to cling to them. I think that some of it is okay, because again, you're not, you're then not alone. But if you're supporting each other in not so great ways, that's not the best. Once I moved, moving forward into professional life, a nice thing about Louisville is that there's a number of dancers from Butler there. So I had a good friend who was there, who sort of, you know, supported me and showed me the ropes and even talked me up to the ballet master. Uh, so Very nice. she sort of served. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So she served as a mentor, I would say, during that time. And I do think that some kind of mentor is really beneficial to dancers as well. Yeah, I think that's really important for sure. 
it's interesting you talk about your circle of friends because Courtney and I, with discussions with other guests, we've we've been mostly focusing on encouraging dancers to like push out of their bubble and try to diversify who they hang out with a little bit to kind of give them some sure. perspective. But it is nice to hear that, you know, you can use your your peers as a positive influence on you too, you know, that no one yeah. can quite understand what you're going through than another dancer, you know. So um so was there a moment within within those strategies and going through all of that where it sort of like clicked? Like what was your tipping point where you're like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> this isn't working or this is working or what was that? Yeah. Like I said, for me, it was really after I made the decision to stop dancing and I started working at Lululemon and was, uh, you know, like I said, started doing a lot more yoga, Mm -hmm. sort of having that instant group of non-dance friends, I think helped a lot because Mm -hmm. I really Mm -hmm. got close to my coworkers there. Uh, yeah. They all were also into like an active lifestyle, which mm-hmm. was nice. Uh, but again, it was the yoga mindset. So it didn't feel as externally focused to me. Yeah. So movement without judgment. Yes. Yeah. Without a mirror, I would Oof. say was the yeah. key. I think it's, it's not, it, it makes perfect sense that dancers are so challenged by their external form, not just because this is an aesthetic art, but because they are forced to look at themselves in a mirror for hours upon hours every single day. And, you know, yeah. sometimes their school dress code is, you know, a white leotard and pink tights when you're 17 or 18 years old. And it's like, yeah, yeah that's, that's nice. It's not just asking for it. <laughs> Great. It's yeah. creating an environment that is not super yeah, for yeah. sure. So, um, so after you left dancing, you, you talked about the yoga. Obviously, there's a lot of like the mindfulness things that come into play with that. Did you kind of dive into yoga? Or you mentioned your coworkers had other forms of activity. Did you kind of have to do some trial and error? Or did you just kind of fall in love with yoga right away and what it offered for you? I tried a lot of things. I had dabbled in yoga prior to stopping dancing. However, when I had done yoga while I was still dancing, it was like, uh, I did Bikram yoga, which has a mirror and, uh, you know, is again, seems quite focused on the physical form. Sure. Uh, and, and it is a little, and it's like intense and that would be, I needed the intensity at the time. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And so after I was done with my dancing and Bikram phase, uh, the yoga was definitely the thing I liked the most. Admittedly, part of what I liked about it was being very flexible already. You know, I, I did get praised by yoga teachers. As did well, a good which, job. Right, which we know dancers thrive on. Yeah, there's nothing quite like your yoga instructor, like her jaw just dropping because of mm-hmm. your forward fold or something like that. Right. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I, I can relate to that for sure. Yeah, you get to be the most flexible person in almost every yoga class and Wow, I'm so crazy. I mean, you know, and it's like funny because that's obviously not the not, not the point, which I eventually learned as well. But initially, right, I was just like, right, yeah, you know. it gives you something else. Well, I think it there is something to be said for that too, because from dance you go from performing, you go from yes, you may be one of many on stage, but it's still that you're standing in the light, no matter you know how many our people are next to you. There is that aspect of performance, and when mm-hmm. you leave that world. It's okay to have those moments of like, oh, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You know, I mean, in real life, it just, I think it's relatable. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So as far as um, what kind of mindset work you both encountered yourself and then what you encourage for your dancers kind of to develop within their their approach to training, both as a dancer and then in their life. I mean, they, they do obviously overlap. Um, but just as far as that mindset work, what does that look like? So I would say that I really, again, this is not something I really delved into while I was dancing, unfortunately, but it's the sort of stuff that I got much more into afterwards through my health club training program and then also just yoga and meditation and things like that. Mm-hmm. 
things for dancers that are helpful include visualization. I think that when dancers, especially, you know, I have clients right now who are working towards YAGP and competition and things like that, where you can easily psych yourself out mentally. So if you can start to visualize yourself doing variations or doing sections of variations that challenge you and doing them well, it does in, in fact have an impact on how well you actually do them. And it's funny because, you know, Olympic athletes do these sorts of things and have been doing these sorts of things forever. And yet when I think back, I'm pretty sure I cannot recall a single time when a teacher said to me in my training, like, visualize yourself doing it well, and that will have <laughs> an impact. Especially That's while you're in wild concept. Yeah. 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 I, I don't think my teachers really ever said that. Um, I will say, though, that I had surgery when I was a senior in high school, and my mom actually had me visualizing the, like, the tissue healing. That's awesome. <laughs> like, she had me visualize the scar tissue disappearing. And then That's later great. on, when I was, like, watching class because I couldn't participate, I, I would, like, stand at the bar on a, well, sit at the bar on a chair and just do port bra and she would have me visualize mm -hmm. the rest of my body, you know, going through all the exercises yeah. and stuff. So yeah, like I can say for sure. I mean, I went from being under the knife in December, the day after Nutcracker was over, and then being back on point 100% by March for auditions. That's it was amazing. crazy. Yeah, so it, yeah. it definitely works for sure. <laughs> yeah, for, for the... Um... For visualizations, I feel like there's also so much grounding that comes with that. And there's, I mean, the, visual, the yeah. visualization itself is going to help your performance, but the grounding helps both the performance and, you know, kind of an abundance of other things as a nice positive benefit of kind of getting grounded. Um, mm -hmm. For me, that's something that I found later in my, I was a, I was a yagp -er, Um, So that was something I found later in my years. And I can remember being backstage headphones in like in my zone trying to just visualize listening to my music just sitting there mm -hmm. stretching doing it like always trying to tell dancers about it impacted my performance quite a bit it's so good and there's so many applications for it I mean I was not a great turner but looking back I'm like I wonder I wonder what would have happened if I'd thought about being a better turner yep. <laughs> when, I was yeah. in, when I was trying to turn instead of just constantly going down not just negative self-talk but just I don't know. There's just a lot. There, I'm not but... a turner. I'm not a turner, right? So right. how well do you think you're going to turn if that's what you're saying to yourself all hmm. the time? Uh, uh, yeah, and I would say the same. I was not a turner, <laughs> not a turner either. I would tell myself that Me as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. This is. I don't. You know, I'm thinking about whether I'm going to do some auditions coaching this year. I often will will give it as a service. Uh, in the beginning of the year, but obviously this is a very different year, so I have to sort yeah. of decide if I can really help navigate this different landscape that dancers are uh, working with. Sure. But a big thing that we talk about is, you know, what do you perceive as your shortcomings in dance? Because like those repetitive messages that they're telling themselves, if you tell yourself, I'm not a turner, you're going to get in an audition and you're going to be awful at pirouette because that's what you've told yourself the whole time. Right. Yeah. You yeah. can't expect yourself to do something if you aren't expecting yourself to do something. Exactly. It's almost like reverse training. Like you're yeah. actively training your brain to not do the thing you want to do. Exactly. It's, it's pretty it's a wild. messed up when you think about it, but yeah. it's, what, yeah. it's, what, it's what everyone does. Yeah. Ooh. We define ourselves by this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm not good at, and like you set it in your brain and that's what you go with. And, so, and not only go ahead, yeah. not only do we de define our, our like the type of dancer we are, but it, it goes down I feel like to a more granular level. It's defining who you are as a person. 100%. Like your identity lies in, I mean I was great at Grand Allegro, yeah. I always jumped with the boys, you know, like that was my mm -hmm. identity it just, it's so wild to me that if you go, you know, to any profession and you ask someone, let's say you ask an engineer, you know, does this define you as a person, like your, your personality, the fact that you're able to do this skill, 
it would be mm-hmm. more like you were nuts, you know? Yeah, so yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, going off that, Sarah, it's the, it's the identity and it goes down to your, your worth, which is, I feel like where you get into so much of the body image stuff. I don't know. They're, they're just so connected and it's so, you got to change it. You got to change it around guys. A hundred percent. I mean, that's one of the things too, going even deeper than that dancers define themselves as dancers, which is part of why when it comes to be towards the end of a dance journey, it's very hard to see anything else because you define yourself by this thing that you do. And that's hard. Yeah. Well, and we, I think we mentioned this on another episode, but it's like this self-identity and the community identity the family like you are the dancer not just as far as what you think for yourself and what your future could be but it's how everyone perceives you as well so how what's next what like how does that how does that transition work it's just it's rough so so you mentioned visualizations is there another mindset any other mindset approaches you really like to teach on yeah so one of the big things is a like quick mental response that takes just uh, repetition for dancers because just same thing with the I'm not a turner kind of thing. We'll have this mental uh, speech going on in our head about our bodies when we're dancing. And so every time those thoughts come up, the, oh God, my thighs are too big. Oh God, I look this way in this leotard or why did I wear this? we've got to start working the muscle in the opposite direction. So every time a negative thought comes up, you have to have a positive response to it so that more and more you'll start to focus on the positive versus getting caught up in those negative thoughts. And I do always tell dancers for this one too, that very commonly, and one of my clients even said to me, you know, I can, I'm starting to feel this way more positive when I observe myself but I find that I will still look on like Instagram and be scrolling or something and I'll see a dancer and I'll think, wow, she's really good, but she would be better if she were this way, different, thinner, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so for dancers, I think it's really important too that they are shifting that mental verbiage when they're observing their peers or again, people on Instagram as well. Because then it's easier to apply it to yourself. Yeah. And I'd really, I'd really like the, the focus. I don't know how we do this, but the focus has gone so far from artistry, like so far from artistry. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's like, we can't even see, we need a telescope to find it, you know, because yeah. the focus <laughs> is so much on the aesthetic and the tricks and, and all of that. And it's like, how do we, as a culture, the dance culture, how do we shift that? Um, you know, you hear, us old retirees talking about it all the time but how how do we instill that I'm also a teacher like how do we instill that you know in a real way where our kids believe it instead of just going Mm -hmm. okay yeah sure Miss Sarah uh uh-huh and I'm gonna get on Instagram now and try to copy you know the shape over here you know so it's like how do we instill the the priority of artistry into our kids you know that's that's mm-hmm. the big question. Yeah, shifting shifting the self talk, I do think will help in that. Yeah, and to that yeah. end as well, I think that is obviously that's like a little bit of bigger picture ballet sure. world stuff that needs yeah. to shift back to you know sound technique versus however you can get your leg the highest. Right. Yeah, and awarding those that thing as well. I mean, we talked about yeah what season it's in. It's audition season and competition season. And mm-hmm. what's getting awarded? What's getting like mm-hmm. that's what that's what you're looking at. It's right. a it's a cycle that can be shifted. It's just gonna take yep. some some changes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just just kind of shifting gears a little bit. I know a lot of the work that you do is focused on uh, the way that we fuel ourselves as dancers. So when we talk about eating for dancers, how can dancers develop a mindful approach that is specific to their individual needs? Because we all know that giving a dancer, you know, a certain percentage of protein, carbs, fat, you know, that's that same ratio. Those don't work for every single person. So how do you develop some balance? How do you develop Uh, the right kind of attitude in order for every individual person to maximize their nutrition for their needs. 
that? Well, you know, naturally and unfortunately, the most common patterns that dancers fall into are underfueling because obviously this is the message that they receive. If they would like to look a certain way, they really shouldn't or can't eat as much as other people. And sometimes, again, sometimes that's a, a message that they give to themselves. And other times it is in fact a message that is given to them by a teacher. Heard too many examples of this in recent times. So I know it is still happening. Mm -hmm. um, it's too much, but I think a big thing is, as you said, yeah, we can, you can talk about macronutrient ratios, but it's not going to be the same for everyone and not everyone is going to perform at their highest level with the same ratio of macronutrients. So there is no one size fits all plan. And to that end, I think that dancers really benefit from not putting themselves in one of those, uh, dietary meal plan boxes that people like to identify with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was vegan. Part of my motivation to be vegan when I, because I started when I was a dancer was because I could cut out a number of foods. Over time, that motivation did evolve where I am very environmentally conscious and I do care a lot about animals and animal rights. So obviously that evolved for me, but the initial motivation was that I was able to cut things out. Mm -hmm. And I think that dancers especially like to be able to put themselves in one of those uh, dietary eating style boxes. I'm a vegan. This is what I can eat. I'm a vegetarian. This is what I can eat. Uh, and so rather than doing that, they've got to listen to their bodies and not just what they need, but what they want to eat. And when I stopped being vegan, it was because I was craving eggs. And I was talking to another health coach and she was like, well, maybe that's a signal that you need more protein. Vegans can get enough protein. I'll make sure I say that. <laughs> Dancers can absolutely be vegan. But perhaps the way I was fueling myself at that time, I wasn't getting what I needed. So I started eating eggs and I started to feel different. And I think that the biggest thing that dancers have to do is rather than feeling that you have to identify with one of these labels of eating style, pay attention to what your body is telling you, be willing to adjust, even if it means eating an animal food when you had not intended to do so. And don't feel bad about that. And really also notice how you're feeling from a digestive standpoint, how you're feeling from an energy standpoint, how you're mm -hmm. feeling from a, a mental standpoint, because all of these things are so connected. And it doesn't matter what your friends and other dancers eat, because that's a big thing too. We read these what I eat in a day posts, which I hate. Uh, and we say, oh, well, Isabella Boylston eats lots of pasta and she drinks wine at night. So like, that's what I'm going to do, you know, and I'm thrilled that that works for her. And clearly she has found a way to feel herself that's working and she's you know, dancing amazingly well and all of that good stuff. But just because that works for her does not mean that that's how you should be. So um, do you think that, I know a lot of, I obviously am not an expert on disordered eating other than having experienced it myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I from a lay, lay person's perspective, I understand that a lot of times the disordered eating has a lot to do with control or a feeling of lack of control. Yeah. And so that's mm -hmm. maybe part of the reason why some people turn to these restrictive diets because it's a way for them to have a sense of control. So for those people that are feeling quote out of control, you know, what do you say? I understand, you know, yes, it's important to not put yourself in that box, but what do you say to those people when you're telling them to listen to their bodies, but what their bodies are saying makes them feel out of control. Like, how do you address that? So I think that when you're 100% right that the disordered eating mind is, is using food as a mechanism for control. I think that bigger picture with the control thing, and I think dancers like to have this thing that they can control because Partly, it's a very high-pressure environment, especially for those who are pursuing it at pre-professional and professional levels. And so I think that, you know, they're under this stress from a young age and are putting pressure on themselves. Many, many dancers are perfectionists, so there's like this pressure to be, quote-unquote, perfect. 
And then, yeah, the food is the thing that they feel they can control. I always end up talking to, especially my group coaching uh, participants about the fact that we have to get to a point where we're accepting that nothing is ever within our control. I think that, I mean, 2020 kind of forced that message into people's faces. For sure. Um, <laughs> you know, like you, we create our worlds and our lives in a way that feels comfortable and within control, but it could all change in a moment's notice or with no notice. And so I think getting to a place where you are feeling okay with all uncertainty is going to help you say, okay, I can approach the next meal with a completely open mind. And I don't have to just eat these things that I've told myself are okay to eat. This takes time because dancers do say to themselves, I can only eat this, these things. Yeah. I mean, it's also part of why, you know, in my group program, which is the Dancers with Body Forcing Group Coaching Program, there are so many steps to getting to a place where you feel okay with food and your body again. And a big part of it is undoing all the messages that you've heard over time. First, recalling them and then thinking about where they came from and thinking about how and why you should be leaving them in your past. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's not like in a, a quick switch to flip to say, okay, eat whatever For sure. you know, your body is telling you to eat. Uh, but it is something that dancers really need to do to yeah. perform their best, you know? Yeah. It's like you've told yourself, this is what I have to eat to perform my best, but odds are adjustments would actually really allow better. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we both read your Dance Teacher Magazine article, and we're absolutely in love with it. It's amazing. Um, but we kind of wanted to see if we could dive a little bit deeper. I was really fascinated by the idea that studio culture can impact individual dancers' eating habits without a teacher specifically saying, you know, Susie, you need to quit eating Cheetos because, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about how, as dance teachers, studio owners, how we can create a studio culture that's going to encourage healthy, not just eating habits, but just health, healthy mental health too. Yeah, I think that studios definitely benefit from having something that's not necessarily just a one-off workshop that they offer to students, but something more ongoing, even if it's every few months where someone is speaking on topics, not just about like, these are great foods to eat because that's useful information. For the most part, people have a pretty good idea of what is healthy and what is not. And I think that having an ongoing conversation around the importance of eating enough and the mental place from which you approach food and how you're viewing yourself in the studio and what kind of pressure you're putting on yourself to look a certain way, as we discussed, could be really helpful. I do always think that teachers need to just not make any comments about body. At all. Positive or negative. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say we're on a video right now, guys, and we are all just nodding our heads because they're <laughs> in total agreement on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and the thing that happens is when dancers come back from a break, if someone is thinner, you can't say you look great. You know, you yeah. can't. It's just yeah, it yeah. goes both ways. Right. Yes, mm -hmm. 100%. And I think that it, and also food advice, like dance teachers should not be giving food advice. You should absolutely not be saying like before, you know, I hear a lot about the comments prior to uh, Nutcracker runs where, you know, maybe they have a break for Thanksgiving before Nutcracker or something like that, where they're doing don't eat too much at Thanksgiving. It's like, no, don't say that. Say, oh my gosh. enjoy your holiday. How about Have fun that? with your family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that any of those comments are no good. One teacher recently said something and I was like, yes, that's exactly it. She said, we would never say anything to anyone about if their body has changed 
unless it was a significant, you know, significant in a short period of time weight gain or weight loss where we're concerned about their health. And in that case, as a teacher, you're working with students mostly under 18. So you're going to have a conversation in private, I would assume, with right. the students. With the parents. The parents. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And so, you know, I think that that's where teachers' heads need to be. It doesn't matter if you think this is someone who could dance professionally. So I think she needs to lose weight. Like that's not, it's not okay to say that to her. These are bodies that are in a state of change. These are bodies that are going through puberty at very different ages because so many dancers go through later because of the amount of exercise and all of that. So yeah, if one of your most promising students goes through a major body shift at 16, 17, 18, that's perfectly normal. And it has Mm -hmm. to be like, accepted and embraced and just encouraging always to be healthy and mindful. And and I also say too, you know, this is going beyond that also, but you know, dancers oftentimes, this is something I say to my younger clients, dancers oftentimes will go through a shift maybe later in teens if they do go through puberty later. But then a lot of times dancers go through another shift in their 20s with female dancers because your body is evolving. Yeah. Turning 20 to a woman instead of a teenager right. and the rec- mm-hmm. the lack of recognition that that occurs for mm-hmm. human bodies needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. 25 was a big old shocker for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. For sure. So what about, so we've, we've talked about a couple of things that we want to avoid, you know, culturally in our studio and, and talking about ongoing programs. But one thing that I really was a big takeaway for me was um, the idea of modeling behavior at the studio as a teacher. So I know I used to work in a larger school. Right now I I have my own business. So I have a, just a virtual ballet school and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, But before, you know, I was working, I don't know, maybe teaching 15, 16 classes a week. And so I was constantly back to back classes running from one studio to the other. And there was a point in time where I realized that I hadn't eaten in five hours and I was teaching and I was lightheaded, you know, and it was not good. So, you know, I decided to make the change of, you know, packing a yogurt or packing convenient snacks that I could grab in between classes. And I think, you know, it's really important as teachers that we model to our kids that it's okay to eat between class. In fact, you should, especially if you have a back-to-back day like that. Um, Yeah. But yeah, that concept to me, I think was really, really, it struck me because I don't think a lot of teachers or studio owners even think about that, that, you know, our students are watching our every single move, not just every tondu you do, but they're watching you between classes too. So is there anything Mm -hmm. else that you can think of like modeling behavior wise or other types of cultural things we can do positively in the studio? The modeling is a big thing. I think especially, you know, dancers will see how particular teachers are performing and they will also notice what you're eating and and will make assumptions about how it all is working for you. So I think that just making a concerted effort for all teachers to be making healthy choices, at least when they're at the studio, like that should be a discussion in studios with the teachers you know like we have to make sure that we're showing them eating enough and eating healthy and like you like you brought up yeah even if you have five minutes between sometimes you have to have a snack then and it's okay for them to see you eating it because then they'll exactly like as you said they'll say to themselves oh maybe I, I can have a snack during that five minute break too because I'm always hungry you know um And I I think that when you're modeling those healthy behaviors, you can also point them out and be like, you know, girls, when I'm, I'm running between classes, I do always make sure that I stop and have a snack at some point because I know it's going to make a big difference in how I'm able to show up and how much energy I have to teach and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think bringing it up helps as well, not just the modeling, but also when it is in fact a healthy behavior, you know. Versus, you know, saying like, see, I don't eat all day. <laughs> you know, we don't want <laughs> yeah, to, you shouldn't do that or... and you shouldn't bring it up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love all those tips. Um, finishing up today, I don't know how our time has already flown, but 
Um, kind of putting it all together. So what are some actionable steps that you would give your dancers that they can implement in order to create some of that balance both in and out of the studio? I think that the first thing that really does help is to start writing. Journaling is a big thing that I talk about with clients a lot. And whenever, you know, it's, it's oftentimes a struggle to get started, but whenever they get to the point where they're doing it consistently, the the thoughts and feelings that they have around that practice are super positive and all moving in a good direction. And one of the main motivations I would say at the start should be for you to decide where you need to put some attention. So, you know, a lot of times dancers have this single-minded focus. I'm focused on my technique. I'm focused on what I do in the studio. And they don't say to themselves, well, what am I doing outside of the studio? How am I approaching food from a mindset perspective? How am I, you know, supporting my body physically outside of the studio, whether that's with self-care or cross-training or things like mm -hmm. that. So get clear on a first place to put some focus, depending on your goals and things like that, and start there. And, you know, the big thing that a lot of people fall into, especially in a New Year's time of life, is they'll say, oh, well, I have these 50 things that I want to accomplish. Right. <laughs> you know, now or in the next, this year, in the next three months. And really in order to actually see progress and growth in most areas, this is true for technique as well. Like if you pick one thing to focus on, you'll start to see things shift in the right direction with that. So I think mm -hmm. knowing that it's going to be a process, knowing that it's going to be slow. And I mean, that's part of also why when I work with dancers one-on-one, -on -one, it's for six months, this part, because it's going to take time to yeah, yeah. find the focus and then to start implementing things and to get consistent with things. I really love that, that starting with the, the small baby steps. I'm a fan of the baby steps because like you said, taking on all of it, then mm -hmm. nothing gets done and then you get defeated and like, I right. can't, you know, it just kind of cycles back. But yeah. if you do one small thing, you know, you're going to be able to do. If it's quick and easy, you get that dopamine mm -hmm. hit. You're just like, yes, okay, I can keep going. This right. is working. Like, it, there's so many Snowballs. things. Snowballs. It, it's really yeah. important. Snowballs mm -hmm. quickly, too, into those yeah. more difficult things that you want to accomplish as well. So, yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, Jess, thank you so much for your time. This has just been such a great episode. I, I, I have, like, so many more questions for you. I'm sure we'll probably ask <laughs> you to come back on. Um, maybe for like a more specific topic to. at another time. Yes. So, <laughs> um, do you have any just like final thoughts or anything you want to leave us with today? No, I mean, you know, starting small is so important. I think that dancers should also, if they're feeling lost in that process, start to look for support outside of your immediate dance circle, whether that's with someone like me or, you know, if you think you need more prescriptive eating plan focus on food, you're already in a good mindset place with it and you just would like to talk about fueling yourself, maybe you start talking to a dietitian. If you need more focus on technical stuff, maybe you look into one-on-one -on -one private ballet coaching. You know, think about the areas that actually need your focus and actually seek out support. Because I think that's a big thing that dancers tell themselves I have to be able to fight through and push through and do this mm -hmm. myself, you know? And I think that when dancers yeah. actually reach out and find someone who can help them with where they are, they go much further for much longer and see greater success. That's awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. So um, we're going to spring this on you. <laughs> we mm -hmm. always ask our guests the same exact question. <laughs> Um, it's a little okay. cliche, but we've been getting some fun answers, so I like it. Um, so the question is, what advice would you give to yourself as a young dancer? Oh, I mean, God, so many things. I, <laughs> the, I mean, the number one piece of advice I would say to myself as a young dancer would be to eat more food. You know? Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. I hear and, that. And love your body. Because... I had, you know, and it's so funny to look back and then to think about where young dancers are sometimes from a mental perspective, but you know, I have really good feet, I'm hyperextended, I'm very flexible, you know, I had a number of physical things that were really 
positive attributes in the yeah. dance world and in easily ballet. quantifiable. Right. And I put yeah. zero focus on what would be considered considered my gifts. And I put 100% mm. of my focus on what I perceived as my flaws. And so I think that if I could say to myself, just focus on what's good, I would have gone a lot further. That's beautiful. It's, yeah. it's re relatable. Chills it's touching. over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was wonderful. It's a quote. It's a quotable for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, Jess, um, this will be coming out in January. Do you have awesome. any upcoming uh, workshops, programs? How can we, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Go ahead and plug anything you've got coming on as well as any of your social media profiles, website, where can, where can they find you? Sure. It's all The Whole Dancer. So it's thewholedancer.com on Instagram. I'm at The Whole Dancer on Facebook. I have a group called The Whole Dancer, Ballet Dancer Help. Uh, and connecting with me in any of those ways would be great. If you go on thewholedancer.com, I have a free guide, seven steps to reaching your personal best dancer's body. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's not all about food. There's some of that, but a lot of it is the <laughs> mental component and caring for yourself. Uh, so go ahead and get that guide. And yeah, reach out, send me a DM on Instagram, send me an email. I love hearing from dancers and you can work with me one-on-one -on -one or in group coaching programs. The next group coaching program won't open up until the spring, but there's a wait list nice. for that. So. Awesome. And yeah. guys, we will, we will link all of that stuff in our show notes and we'll also be linking the Dance Teacher Magazine article that we were talking about earlier where Jess was yes, featured. So guys can all awesome. read all of those things and connect with her. So yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for joining us today and sharing yes. all of your wisdom with our listeners. I know I my learned pleasure. a lot and I'm not even dancing anymore, but <laughs> I, I, it, uh, it makes my heart happy that like the other dancers, younger dancers are getting exposure to these things and they're learning from you. If yeah. you're not following her on Instagram yet, you have to go follow her thank along you. with all the other things because there's, there's just only good can come out of it. What's the worst yep. that can happen? Progress. I think you all want to progress. <laughs> so the best case scenario, you really have shifts in your training and your mindset and you are able to achieve more, which is like I yeah. said, but yeah. I think we're all, everyone's searching for. So um, yeah, thank you so much, Jess, for joining yes, us. And thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Enjoy <laughs> the rest thank of your you day. Okay, bye. Oh, you too, it was my pleasure. Thanks, bye. bye. Okay, Sarah, how are you feeling? Hi, I am feeling really good. I mean, I think of, of all of the people we could possibly have on, Jess is, man, she's like that golden goose. She just keeps, keeps laying out all of the amazing knowledge, all the tips, all the things. I just love yes, her. Absolutely. I, I mean, there's a lot of things going through my head, but two things that I just want to mention and reiterate. Um, when she was talking about who you surround yourself right this network of friends that you create around the studio when you guys were talking it like took me back and i i can remember us talking about perhaps it wasn't a healthy um thing we were doing but we would say things like hey like you know as we get closer to competition or as you know summer intensive happens mm -hmm. if we start to cross a line you gotta let me know because you know i don't i just i want to make sure i don't like get to a point where i'm you know too Whoa. much anything and oh. it would be like this thing like that we with would your say, body like once yeah with our body like if we started oh. to gain too much weight let's like uh -huh. friendly in a friendly manner like let's tell each other and no one ever said anything but it was like a conversation that we would have occasionally mm -hmm. about once a year or so and it was just like thinking back I'm oh. like oh that was not good <laughs> that oh, was gosh. that was perhaps not the best but yeah but it was in good it was in good spirit it was you know sure just you guys to, like, thought you were being everyone. supportive right yeah. but yeah. it just kind of reiterates that mindset of ooh, you know yeah and yeah yeah it's tricky because i i get that and i hear that and i i think you're totally right um but i also remember my friends in high school like outside of dance i had nothing to do with dance we're doing crazy things like the the Hollywood juice diet and the cabbage <laughs> soup diet and the grapefruit diet. Like that diet uh -huh. culture, man, it is very deep. Like it, I mean, yeah. 
even though I did have the support of a couple of friends outside of my dance circle, I mean, it was still not healthy. Yeah. And even though, I mean, for those listening today, if you're still in that training, I, I feel like the diets themselves have shifted a lot, but the culture has only grown, I feel no, like, which is yeah. difficult. That being said, there's also more body positivity. There's pros and cons and there's things sure. are shifting, but it's just, it's just an interesting to think back. And then I loved what she was talking about too, with the schools and kind of how to shift that culture, mm-hmm. but really um, trying to communicate to schools the importance that it's not just a one-off conversation. Like, yes, yeah. for sure. If that's where you start, start there, but having ongoing conversations. And I think that's so important because there's so many seasons within a dancer's life. Nutcracker season, mm. competition, audition seasons. Like it, if, if you're constantly yeah. going back layoff to layoff season for professionals, like that's a really hard yeah. season to go through because you're not working, you know, for a couple yeah. months. Yeah. When your yeah. training goes through season, it's nice to reiterate that reminder of mm-hmm. <laughs> your, your relationship a lot. Um, anyway, those were yeah. the crazy things for me. What, what, what resonated the most with you? I mean, going off of what you just said about culture in the dance studio, I mean, as a studio owner myself, I'm hyper aware of, of that. And I think only, only recently did I really start to realize that any comment about a dancer's body, positive or negative is not a good thing. Like, Mm -hmm. why are we not saying, Oh, Julia, you look so happy today or compliments that have something to do with their strength as a person. Yeah. And, you know, and, or and their personality, about their technique, their yeah. artistry. I love how yeah. you, yeah. I love how yeah. you did that. Like yeah. I, I totally get, get what you're coming at. Yeah. I mean, especially when you don't see your students for, or even parents, you know, when you send your kids off, you know, obviously this is, you know, not taking COVID into, you know, consideration. <laughs> it's so, its own thing. Yeah. Pre-COVID and or post vaccine and COVID being under control. This is what I'm speaking to right now. (laughs) When your child goes Mm -hmm. away for summer intensive and they come back and they look different, whether maybe they were overindulging in some unhealthy eating while they were there because they were off on their own for the first time and they kind of went crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Or if they've lost a ton of weight, whether that's from disordered eating or just simply training you know, for longer hours a day, Mm -hmm. like you can check in with your child without being like, Hey, you're skinnier or Hey, look, you gained a ton of weight. You know, like there, there are ways of communicating with our children that we need to, we need to understand that they do infer a lot. And she brought that up. And that really stuck with me is that Mm -hmm. kids make their own assumptions about what's going on, whether that is them just doing it themselves, or it's a suggestion from their environment. But we have to keep that in mind. Not, not only are our kids watching everything you say and do, but they're also processing that and then making their own assumptions. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just love, I mean, I love that. There's, there's, there's just so much today that I <laughs> really, I find so, so helpful and so valuable. Um, I think it's really important part of this conversation. So wrapping up today, guys, um, thank you so much for tuning in today. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, we would be so thankful if you'd leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and share our podcast with your people to help us get the word out. Yes, and if you have any questions or particular topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, you can email those to us at dancebetterpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dance Better Podcast. To catch us in our own lanes, you can follow me on Instagram at Court Ulrich. That's spelled C-O-U-R-T-U-L-R-I-C-H. To follow me on my own journey as a former dancer pursuing intentional wellness as a 20-something wife dog mom. And you can now join my free Facebook group, Strong But Struggling Young Women. You can find it directly on Facebook or the link is in my Instagram bio. And you can come connect with a community of women who are in the same boat looking to level up their relationship with their body image, their mental health, and their self-worth. And you can follow me on Instagram at techballet, that's T-E-C-H-B-A-L-L-E-T, for more information on my virtual ballet programs, 
where I integrate mindfulness work and injury prevention so that every dancer that steps into my class feels empowered to explore their movement with a whole body wellness approach in mind. So thank you so much for tuning in today, guys. We will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.